This morning we get the the privilege of starting a new book. As we have journeyed through Paul's letters to the church at Thessalonica, we now find ourselves here in the first couple of verses of 1 Timothy. And a message that I've entitled Teaching the Next Generation. And that really could be a synopsis, if you will, of what the Lord has as a purpose for the church as a whole. These are called the pastoral epistles. And they've been called that because in writing two letters to Timothy and one to Titus, the Apostle Paul was ministering to that next generation of young pastor. But at the same time as he writes to the church, he's ministering to that next generation of this church. He's ministering to us who will minister to that next generation of this church. He's reminding us that we have a heavenly calling. He's reminding us that we, who are God's people, have a responsibility to pass on our godly heritage. And I pray as we embark on these next three books, they are filled with treasures in the Lord. They were written to individuals. They're extremely personal. They're wonderful because, you know, family of God, in our life experience, I can tell you as a coach, one of the things that you want to do is take that next young player and make sure they're ready when the other players graduate. When someone gets injured and they have to sit the bench, you want to invest in that next generation. The same is true as an employer. I can tell you, as an employer, the last thing in the world I want to do is to have the ministry dependent upon me. You want to raise up that next generation so that, in essence, everything you know, they know. And then some, if you can. You want to pass along to that next generation. You want to make sure that they're ready to take the helm of the ship. As wise parents, no more important thing can we do as parents than to pass on a godly heritage to our children to raise them and train them in the admonition, the training and instruction of the Lord so that they are prepared to fight the good fight of faith, so they are ready to stand, having done all to stand. These letters are that type of instruction. And some people will say, well, I'm not a pastor, so they don't apply to me. Are you a parent? you coach? I don't care if it's Pee Wee Junior AYSO soccer and they're three years old and they don't know you're still having an impact in somebody's life. Maybe you're an employer. Maybe you're an employee. Even as an employee, you're responsible for training that person who's going to cover for you when you're on vacation. You can understand how important it is. If it's important in the world, how much more important is it in the body of Christ? Every one of us can benefit from these letters. You see, if we're not mentoring and raising up those next generations of potential leaders, 
if we're not nurturing people in the things of the Lord, then the ministry dies with us. One of the things that is tragic to me is the graying of the church. And I say that respectfully because my hair is gray. Well, what's left of it's gray. A church that has no next generation dies. A church that does not invest in its children dies. A church that's unconcerned for the future doesn't care about its present. We need to be investing in the next generation. We need to have done all to stand. And that means leaving the ministry in good hands should we exit. That means taking the time to tell others what we ourselves know. It means not being afraid to let other people make mistakes, family of God. Now, I know you all don't think this, but I actually think I'm better than everyone else (laughs) at everything. We can fight later. (laughs) Now, we all typically do that, and I shared that to shake you up a little bit. We all have a tendency when we're training someone else to think that we're irreplaceable. You know, that we do that job better than everyone else. That that skill that we possess is, is at a greater level than anyone else will ever have it. Can I share with you, if you will not pass on to the next generation, I would say to you, you are doomed to have to do it yourself. Not blessed, doomed. You'll never have any time off. You'll never be able to rest. You'll have to lay hold of those things forever if you do not pass them on to the next generation. Matter of fact, you are better off handing control of almost everything to someone else eventually. Because if you don't train them up, it dies with you. If you won't share those things, it dies with you. We must train up the next generation. One of the things that delights me is watching the young people in this church being raised up, doing worship, teaching Bible studies, going out and ministering. We want to do that. Watching other people step into positions of ministry, serving in children's ministry, working with the youth, homeless ministry, working in the food ministry, whatever. We need to be training up the next generation. I pray that we are doing that kind of investment. I think we'll just take two verses this morning. But they're two very important verses, verses 1 and 2. And here it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. People have a little bit of a difficult time with that. Because really what it's saying here is God is also Savior. Let me just share with you and settle that in your mind. It took God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to bring about salvation. That's all that's being said. It isn't making the case that you can go directly to God and you don't need Jesus because God is also the Savior. He is part of the plan of salvation. And in fact, he authored the plan of salvation. It was his son that was given. 
It was Christ who died. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers and dwells in the believer. Each one has a part. That triune Godhead has a portion in our salvation. So to call God Savior is to acknowledge his part. And verse 2 goes on to say to Timothy, notice this, a true son in faith. If we are not raising up spiritual offspring, family of God, the ministry dies with us. If we're not investing in other people, the ministry dies with us. If we won't take time to do what God has called us to do, which is to raise and nurture others in the things of the Lord, then all of the things of God could potentially pass away from this earth. If people aren't actively sharing their faith, then faith itself really dies with us. Could the Holy Spirit do this without us? Yes, but that's not the method by which God has chosen to bring these things into the world. He says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Who then will hear if we do not preach, it goes on to say. How will people know the good things of God unless we ourselves will tell them? That's why when someone says to me, well, you know, I put my children here or there because I want them to know the things of the Lord. Parents, it's your responsibility to raise your children in the things of the Lord. And I don't say that to condemn anyone. Certainly some of us are more mature and gifted and all of those things. But don't forsake it. You have a part in that process. It is huge. We must raise up the next generation. And it says grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, as Paul opens this letter to his young protege, his understudy, I think it behooves us to recognize who this is. If you've been with us uh, in our study of the book of Acts, we really just finished going over the chapters, uh, chapters 18, 19, 20. We're in 21, 22 this coming week, where Timothy comes on the scene, and he's with Paul. But I can tell you this, I've raised up a lot of young people in ministry. I've had lots of people that have been in this particular position. There is no easy way to do it. There there is no way to do it from afar. You have to get involved. And I'll use an example of infancy. Probably none of you have an automatic diaper changer. Amen? That's kind of a hands-on experience, is it not? And as you're there tending to your own children, that's not exactly pleasant, is it? But is it necessary to move them on from infancy to adulthood that you change their diapers initially? The answer is yes. And then we potty train them. And then we see them become children, and then young adults, and then finally adults. It's a process, is it not? There is no way to skip part A. You have to do part A to move to part B, and from B to C and C to D on to X. You must do each part. 
If you don't, then you don't have a fully functioning adult. It's a process. It takes time and it takes investment on your part. There is no easy way. There is no substitute for giving your all if you're going to raise up the next generation. You have to be there when they fail. Just like with your children, when you teach them to ride a bike. You know, every parent's worst nightmare is removing the training wheels. Amen? You've done what you can. The training wheels are on and they're going down the street. You know how they do the flip-flop thing? They ride on the training wheel on one side and then they ride on the training wheel on the other side. And you're going, no, balance yourself in the middle of the bike. And you give them a push and they take two or three pedals and they're going straight and then they flop over to one training wheel. You see, if you don't eventually take the training wheels off and if you're unwilling to watch them scrape a knee and scrape an elbow or bump a forehead, they're never going to learn to ride the bike. You see, the same is true in ministry. You have to let people be able to fail or not do as well as maybe you can do. I have had so many experiences in my time in ministry to where I have been the child that's been mentored and I have been the mentor mentoring the child. You know, it's a scary thing when when Pastor Chuck calls you and says, you know, I, I can't be there. Can you teach for me today? No one wants to teach for Pastor Chuck. It's just, just no, not. I'm really sick. I have a bad disease. I. You you see, you have to be able to say, you know what? Okay, I'm not Chuck. Maybe you're not me. Maybe you can do it better than that other person. But if you won't invest in their life like Paul did in Timothy, they'll never grow and you'll never be blessed to sit back and watch God work. I love sitting back and watching God work. I won't call it you know, Christian laziness, but it's close. It's, I enjoy watching other people succeed. I don't need to be in the center of everything. I like watching other people take something and run with it. It's enjoyable. But the world says, oh, no, you don't. Then they'll replace you. Family of God, if you're not training up your replacement, then you are dooming whatever you do to die with you. It's that simple. I can tell you emphatically, if I go home to be with the Lord Jesus today, There are several pastors in this church that will step up here next Sunday and preach. That's what we want to do. Now, they won't be me, and I'm not them. But we're raising up that next generation. It's one of the reasons that we have men from within this church generally fill the pulpit. We we want God to work in this church. We must invest in the next generation. Paul's life was actually very uncharacteristic of of the norm. He came to Christ at a very late age. You remember his conversion experience there in Acts chapter 9. He was on his way to persecute Christians. His whole goal was to make sure that as few of them lived as was possible. He was not exactly a candidate for ministry. Can you imagine the Jerusalem church looking at the Apostle Paul? Yeah, well, he's going to go preach to the Gentiles. Not hardly. 
Not only was he not interested in the Gentiles, he, like a typical Jewish mindset, thought the Gentiles were, in essence, unbelievers and worthy of dying. That's why he was doing what he was doing. And God reaches into his life and touches him there on the road to Damascus. And because of that conversion experience, he now becomes his radical disciple. When we look at the Apostle Paul and the things that he did, he is the most unlikely of all candidates to do what he did. If I had picked out Paul's life, I would have said, well, we'll send him to minister to to the Pharisees. We'll keep him in Jerusalem, and we'll just have him go, and he can go to the synagogue and just mess with them. We'll have him preach Christ from the Old Testament. You know, one of, the, one of the joys, as I taught at the Bible College, I taught a class called Christ and Prophecy. You can clearly preach Christ from the Old Testament. It's not a problem. Can you imagine how, Paul, how good Paul would have been at that? You, know, you talk, about, talk about a guy that was geared to minister to Jewish people, and yet God raised him up to minister to the Gentiles, And then he's responsible for the Gentile church. Don't ever underestimate God's ability to use you or anybody else. God does not look at people the way we do. God's looking for availability. We're going to see that God is looking chiefly for faithfulness. That God is not looking at the outward as man does, but God looks at the heart of people. I know so many former janitors that are pastors and professional skaters, professional surfers. They don't even know how to speak English. And people are getting saved by the droves and God's word is being communicated. I would look at them and go, you know, they they probably need to go study the English language if they're going to communicate in that to anybody. And God uses that deficiency as a source of his glory. Please don't look at the outside. Look at the inside. Look at the heart. See what God sees. Ask God to reveal to you in that area of your life who you might be able to impart your spiritual walk in. We should all be looking for somebody to do this with. Every last one of us. Maybe for some of you it is specifically just your children. For others of you, we have many teachers in this church. You have an opportunity every day. Maybe you can't preach a Bible study, but you can live your life godly in Christ Jesus so that the glory goes to God. Maybe in that business realm, you can do it differently than the world does so that Christ is preached and so that you're mentoring that next person who will take over for you. We want God to be glorified, family. We want Him to receive the glory for all that we do. This letter, and I want to just set the stage this week. This letter is a letter of encouragement. Can I say to you that encouragement is a woefully lacking gift in the church today? And I want to encourage you to look for places and people and those whom you can impart encouragement to 
and please do it. If I were to ask for a show of hands, there's not a single person in here who would say, no, I don't like being encouraged. I would like to be put down and demeaned, thank you very much. Could you assassinate my character, perhaps, you know, call into question my motivations, look at my faults, weaknesses, and failures, and tell everyone else about them? How scary is it that we can actually really think that way? Because sometimes we do. Sometimes we're looking at those failures. We're looking at those weaknesses. We're not looking to exercise that gift of encouragement. Paul was first and foremost an encourager to Timothy. Now I can guarantee you, Timothy being a young man, Timothy being born, at least one of his parents was fully Gentile, Greek to be exact. I can guarantee you there were things that Paul absolutely loathed about the way Timothy conducted himself. Probably looked at some of those, oh, man, I can't believe he does that. Family of God, when you think those things, would you just turn them back on yourself? There are things I hate about me. There are things I don't like about the way I do things. There are things that I think that I shouldn't think. There are things that I say that I shouldn't say. Please don't be quick to point out other people's faults, but be quick to encourage them in their weaknesses. Bless them for those things which are being used of the Lord in their life. I want to give you just a few things to jot down. They're kind of going to be the backbone of these next several studies. Please begin, as you minister to other people, begin with encouragement. Would you begin with encouragement? You're not ever going to cause someone else to be great if you don't begin with encouragement. We all know one another's faults. Someone comes to me and they say, oh, I saw you driving. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I actually had a guy, you know you're too tall. You're always looking down at people. I actually had a guy say that to me one time. Oh, I didn't realize I was responsible for that part of me. You can always find fault with people. Amen? Begin with encouragement. Just encourage them. Find something you can say that's nice. Find something you can say that's wonderful. Find something you can say to that person to where they feel good about being near you. Because it opens the door for the time when you may have to share some fault or weakness with them. But if you haven't encouraged them, they won't receive when you go to correct them. Because they'll see no point to it. They'll see no end. Secondly, would you please expect of others only what you expect of yourself? I don't know about you. I don't expect perfection out of me. Because quite frankly, I know I can't give it. I have learned in my time in ministry to only expect of others 
what I'm capable of myself. No more, no less. That means they're going to make mistakes. Scary? That means they're going to outright sin. They're going to make wrong decisions. They're going to do the wrong thing. They may even be ill-motivated. You know why? Because every once in a while, I'm ill-motivated. Every once in a while, I don't think the way I should. And I've walked with the Lord a long time. Faithfully walked with the Lord a long time. I've been in ministry half of my adult life. More than 20 years. Full-time ministry. And I still make mistakes. I still get upset with people. I still have to say I'm sorry. Oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. Would you forgive me? Don't you think other people who are a little less spiritually mature might say something dumb? Might do something silly? Thirdly, Develop your expectations of others with soulful consideration. Develop your expectations of others with soulful consideration. Think of them. Think of what you are going to say and how you will say it. You notice how these things will apply to good parenting as well. You have to consider my children are not the same. I have two boys, and they are night and day different. They are completely not the same. The only, the only aptitude they both have is they're ridiculous in mathematics. There's, I don't even like it. Mainly because of jealousy. But. but other than that, they're completely different. I have to consider whom I'm talking to. What I say to Austin, I cannot say to Brandon, because he's smarter than I am. Austin and I are kind of close, you know. He can go toe-to-toe with me, and we can, he wins every once in a while. I win. But Brandon will kill me. Just don't go toe-to-toe with him in a logistical argument. You see, I have to treat them as individuals, and that's the backbone here, and especially spiritually. Fourth thing, monitor those expectations. Do a check every once in a while to see if you're doing okay. If you're going to encourage others, you need to make sure it's working is another way to look at it. You know how you do that? Inspect the fruit every once in a while. Take a look at the fruit that's coming forth out of that relationship does it honor and glorify the Lord or is there a problem do a little inspection occasionally monitor those things supervise it and if you need to adjust 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 say you know what Lord maybe we need to do this a little differently fifth thing Clarify your expectations with that other person. One of the big weaknesses in my own life is I believe people are mind readers. I know what I meant when I said what I said, and I believe that they understood what I said because of the way I said it. 
I've learned as I've gotten older that nobody thinks like I do. There's nobody else that's that crazy left on this earth. So sometimes what I say and what I think is not communicated clearly to that person. And so then they do the wrong thing. How dare I get angry when it's been me that didn't communicate it effectively? I didn't start with encouragement. Maybe I caused them to believe that I was dissatisfied. When I go back and clarify what it was and take responsibility for my own actions, when I say I'm sorry, say, you know what, that was on me, I blew that. When I do that, I'm telling them that they matter, that they count, that it's not all about me. And finally, the last thing, simple enough, end with encouragement. Because sometimes the process between the first encouragement and that last time that you talk to them, maybe for that day or that week or that month or whatever, those things can have some difficulty in them. Encourage them at the end. So you know what? We'll get through this together. It's going to be okay. Let me know how I can help you. You see, those things are encouraging. You're telling them that they're not alone. That's going to be the story of Timothy, as Paul writes to him. Timothy wasn't alone. Paul wrote this letter to do these things, to encourage him. He did so as an apostle. He did so as one sent by another. And in doing so, he imparted spiritual life into Timothy in such a way that the church in Greece thrived. The church at Ephesus thrived. The church that was the Gentile church thrived because Paul wasn't afraid to invest in somebody else's life in that next generation. He wasn't worried that Timothy was going to become a better pastor. He wasn't worried that Timothy was going to take over the ministry. He wasn't worried that Timothy was going to become more famous and people would call on him. Family of God, the only reason that we do anything that we do in ministry is that Christ might be glorified. That's it. You each have a place that you can invest in someone else's life. Find that place and encourage them. Amen? Let's let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time this morning. And Lord, we do want to be an encouragement one to another. Lord, help us to find that person that we can invest in. Lord, certainly our own children. Lord, our own families. Father God, we thank you for the opportunities that you give us each day to bring you glory. Lord, would we do that? Lord, would we bring a smile to your face because we have encouraged each other? Lord, would our lives count because we count for you. We pray that you would bless us, Lord. Continue to use this church. Lord, anoint us to your plans and purposes this day. We thank you for your love. We pray that you would bless us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.